those ages. Jesus led me all the way. He is, what is the picture there? He is our shepherd leading us. And no matter what we face as a church ministry, individually what we face, we know that Jesus as our shepherd will be leading us. And that is all the comfort that we need. And Peter is going to be reminded of that as we turn to John chapter 21. <clears throat> Even as Tom was reading this morning, if you noticed in Isaiah 40, it was the theme of God as the shepherd. And of course, the ultimate fulfillment of that shepherding was Jesus Christ himself. He will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. A picture of a careful, loving shepherd who's careful with his sheep. And yet, isn't it interesting that one who is so careful also calls others to be a part in that? And we saw last week that Jesus was calling Peter not to be the great shepherd, but to help to um, come alongside Jesus and help him that. Now, we think of Jesus as a good, careful shepherd, and as we looked at, looked at Peter's resume over what we've learned, we might be a little more concerned about Peter being a gentle shepherd, and yet God is going to use him in, in a mighty way, and that's Jesus was impressing upon Peter his need to go beyond uh, <clears throat> if I can put it this way, a kind of sincere, but very emotional, very exuberant. There, there ought to be joy and exuberance in our worship with Christ. But, but Peter was many times um, all about the show and about the words and making an impression upon everybody else. And Jesus here at the year says, Peter, you really love me. As you said, you have. Feed my sheep. I'm going to give you the opportunity to shepherd my sheep. That's how you can show that you love me. Well, there is, as we, as we mentioned last week, the whole purpose of John 21 is because there is some unfinished business between Jesus and Peter, and they're working through that. Jesus is working Peter through that. Um, even as we get to verse 15, Jesus appears to his disciples in Galilee, and we saw how that took place with them out fishing. Again, I don't think that they were um, reverting back to their old ways, and they were kind of um, weighing whether they wanted to serve Jesus or not. Jesus had made it clear, we see from the Gospel of Mark, that they would meet him in Galilee, and they had practical responsibilities with their families. They're fishing. Jesus provides for them. He invites them to help, and Peter helps with um, providing the meal as well. And I think there is a picture there of Peter helping Jesus bringing the fish in, helping prepare the meal, and Jesus is tying that into, that's what you need to be doing, Peter, is helping to feed my sheep in that way. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me, as a follow-up as a parallel to, G to Peter's th three-time denial. 
And that certainly had to be apparent to Peter at the end. But just so we understand um, what's going on here at the beginning, I don't know that I fully tied this together last week, and I want to do that now. The first time Jesus asked Peter, remember what he said? When they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And there's uh, about three different interpretations. The first is that he's saying more than these fish that um, you were thinking about going back to your old way of life. Are you willing to follow me and be a fisher of men? Um, I could see where someone might come up with that, but really in the context, it doesn't fit. I don't think it's most accurate. So I don't follow the line of thinking. I don't think that all of this was Peter and the others kind of going back and forth. Do we serve God? Do we go back to our old ways? Um, there's a second interpretation that Peter, do you love me more than you are to love these others? You know, your friendship with them. Am I your greatest friend? That kind of thing. I don't think that fits the context well either. Um, <clears throat> what most naturally fits, fits the context again is that Peter almost bragged before Jesus' crucifixion of how he would never leave Jesus, even if all the others did. In fact, just real quickly, I'll read you that from Mark 14. Um, this is as they're going to the Mount of Olives from the book of Mark. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That emotionalism, that, you know, the, the saying the right things and, and having the right appearance of love. And they all said the same. So let's not be too hard on Peter. They all said that. And they all ran away. When it actually came to the point where they were faced with a crisis, they all disappeared. They all failed. But Peter was the one that made the bold proclamation. And he was the one that then had to be addressed again in front of everybody else. And so when Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these? He's saying, you said earlier that you loved me more than everybody else. Jesus isn't even saying emphatically that you do love me more than these others. He's not saying that Peter was right in that, but he was saying, Peter, you said that. Do you really love me? And the way that Peter shows his love is by being a shepherd, uh, coming alongside. And give, uh, Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to shepherd with him. He said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Let's continue to read verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. A different word there, but the same meaning. Be a shepherd. Participate in the ministry with me. I'm giving you an opportunity, Peter, to do this. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And I think he was grieved because now he realizes that Jesus is addressing his three-time denial. And that's why he's saying this three times. And he said, Lord, you know everything. And here is Peter's recognition of the deity of Christ. If he is ascribing to Jesus 
um, omniscient, all knowledge. He's saying, you are God. Just as strong a statement, really, in his own way, as Thomas just gave, my Lord and my God, in the last chapter. Peter was grieved, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so, at this point then, Jesus takes opportunity to reveal something else to Peter. And that even as Peter had faced that distressing moment when Jesus was taken away and crucified, Jesus is now going to, uncharacteristically, he didn't do this with all his disciples, he doesn't do this with us today, but he's going to reveal to Peter that he will have another distressing moment at the end of his life that Peter's going to face. And it will test his resolve. And Jesus, in the midst of this knowledge, is going to call him to be committed Continue to sacrifice and be committed, Peter. And he's going to call us to do the same. Basically, the title of the message this morning is Follow Me. Let's read verses 18 and 19 and then we'll pray. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Lord, as we finish this gospel, this blessed, sweet message that is simple and yet plums the depths beyond even our understanding of your relationship with the Father of your accomplishment of the, of the mission, of Jesus' accomplishment of the mission, and <clears throat> so many other truths that we have learned. We need to decide, each of us here, what we're going to do with the message of this gospel. And so may we make the right choice. As you called Peter to follow you, May we also make that decision, regardless of what we face, regardless of what you're doing in other people's lives. Lord, let us commit to faithfully following you, even as we're encouraged by this final passage in, in the Gospel of John. Thank you for the study. Thank you for the opportunity to plumb the depths, and there's still so much more that we can learn. And I pray that. You will help us to, in the learning of these truths, let it motivate us to be more committed and follow you more faithfully. And then one day, Lord, we desire to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So help keep us faithful. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow me. And Jesus, the risen Lord, we're going to see in verses 18 through 22 calls his followers to sacrificial service. And in this description of what will happen to Peter, Jesus is calling Peter to sacrificial commitment. <clears throat> and Jesus has just called him to shepherd, to participate in shepherding alongside of him, to take care of the sheep. What does that include, by the way? Well, if you think through, you read through Psalm 23, you read through that description that we had of Isaiah this morning and what he says. It involves feeding the sheep. 
protecting the sheep. And ultimately, and yes, even correcting the sheep. All of these things Peter would do. And uh, he would have opportunity to do that. Jesus is calling him to these things. But here in verses 18 and 19, Jesus is also going to point out to Peter that sacrificial shepherding will involve. See, Peter wanted to be a leader. He wanted to be one of the main guys that followed after and one of the main guys that was recognized. And Jesus is now offering him that opportunity to be one of the lead shepherds. Shepherds. Maybe the lead shepherd in many ways. But Jesus is also going to point out that it will not be all blessings and excitement, but there will also be, ultimately, there will be suffering involved. Interesting that we talked about suffering this morning. It ties into this. As Jesus points out to Peter, there will be suffering involved, and you're going to suffer at the end of your life. There'll be a loss of freedom, and it seems that it's referring ultimately here from what we see in verse 19, as Peter will ultimately be martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's look back at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, and of course, whenever you have that, that means this will happen, Peter. Don't doubt it. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. You have had the freedom to, um, to, to take care of yourself and to do, um, you know, to be able to do what you want in essence, uh, even with your own body. You had freedom to be able to do the basics of life and follow your responsibilities in that. But he says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, what is Jesus referring to here? That another will dress you and carry you after someone's, after he stretches out his hands. Well, it may not be direct. Some of us that have studied this, may immediately go to the truth of what Jesus is saying here. You will stretch out your hands, seems um, to be a reference to, and it was considered by the early church, a reference to crucifixion. So Jesus is saying that Peter will suffer crucifixion, but what does it mean that he says another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go? And some interpreters have read this and said, well, that can't be crucifixion then. What it must mean is that Peter will be able to minister with the freedom of um, being able to do what he wants to do in essence and be able to carry things out because of the vitality and his physical capabilities. But by the end of his life, he won't be able to minister effectively in the way somebody else is going to take care of him, dress him, take him where he does not want to go. But really in context here, that doesn't fit at all with what verse 19 says just to show by what kind of depth he was to glorify God. And the early church took this verse as understanding that Peter would be crucified. He would be facing eventual crucifixion. Um, and so it seems best then for us to take it that way as well. Well, what does it mean when another will dress you? Well, this Greek word could also have the idea it could apply to someone binding you. In fact, uh, with these crucifixions, many times you see, you see illustrations and things. Besides the nails, they would also tie their hands to the beams. This may be a way of describing in a picturesque manner that he will stretch out his hands to be crucified. His hands will be tied, dress you, and carry you where you do not want to go, that he would literally carry his own cross like Jesus had done. 
to the place where he would be crucified. And Peter finds out he's one of the few followers, right, who receives information about what's going to happen, how he's going to die. Um, and Jesus, in the midst of this, is calling him to be faithful and committed in the midst of the trials he will face. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know what Peter was thinking for sure. But I'm certainly glad that the Lord doesn't do this to all of us, aren't you? I mean, maybe some of you are thinking, well, it'd just be nice to know what's going to happen in the end. <laughs> Not really. I, I'm glad that the Lord doesn't reveal to us the rest of our lives and how he's going to use us in the suffering that would be involved. That, that would be kind of discouraging, even after we talked so much about suffering the past three weeks in Sunday school. And the blessings of that and how it can draw us closer to Christ and all of these things. And our, our, our physical beings, though, we don't look forward to that. We don't look forward to suffering. Bring it on, God, for all the suffering you did. I'll take it all. No, like we shrink away from that. Well, why would God do this? Why would Jesus do this with Peter? Well, Peter has desired to be one of the primary leaders, hasn't he, among Jesus' followers? And Jesus is really using this in a special way to say, Peter, you'll get to do that, but you're going to suffer. You're going to go through difficult things, so you remain strong throughout that. Now, it was interesting, Peter's response here. As Jesus calls Peter to sacrificial commitment, he will also, in the next few verses, call Peter to focused commitment. Focus on what I'm doing in your life, Peter, not on everybody else around you. I read one commentary that kind of took this interpretation about Peter's response, that Peter was actually used the word, he used the word happy. Peter was happy with what Jesus had just told him and satisfied. And so he looks around and he sees what we can tell here is the apostle John or the disciple John, the beloved, who's writing this. And he's now he's thinking, wow, I've I know what's going to happen in my life, and now I'm going to take opportunity to find out from Jesus what's going to happen to all the other disciples, and I'm going to let them know in kind of a excited, exuberant way. I really have never interpreted it that way. Would you? Would you be excited about this proclamation that Jesus had given? I don't think Peter's happy about this at all. I think he's a little nervous, right? Wouldn't you be? I think he's a little... It's not quite what he was expecting. Lord, it sounds like you're talking about my death. And that's, and so Peter's doing what many of us do when, you're, when we're children. We do this a little more pronounced. But Peter's looking around at other people's situations and saying, I think in effect, well, Jesus, why, why, does, why do I have to go through that? What, what about him? What's he going to have to go through? And so look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And it seems at this point, verses 18 through 19, I think, was still while, G while Peter and Jesus were together with the whole group. I think that they must have all heard this by what we find out later. But at some point, Jesus calls Peter and they're walking down the beach, just the two of them. And John decides to follow them. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. And again, that's a description of John, the apostle, who is following them. And just in case we were a little um, unclear, 
the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? John is using a lot of detail here to make it clear that we all understand this is himself. This is John, the beloved apostle that Peter is referring to. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, well, Lord, what about this man? And Peter, in essence, I think what's going on here is that he's thinking, well, why do I have to go thing through things that other people may not have to go through? Is this something that all the disciples are going to have to go through? That's going to be hard. Um, it's disconcerting to him about his future ministry finale. It's not how he would have pictured or how he would have chosen. Well, what's Jesus' response here? Very clear. Jesus makes it clear, basically, you can put it this way, that Peter does not have authorization to request heavenly information on others. Peter, you don't get to know that. And in a kind way, what's he really saying? Peter, that's none of your business. I'm not going to tell you. Jesus said to him, verse 22, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And basically what he's saying, regardless of what happens at the end of John's life, Peter, that should have no effect on your commitment to me. That shouldn't affect you at all. But you follow me and be faithful. Regardless, mind your own ministry business, Peter. And don't worry about what's going, what I'm doing in everybody else around you. You worry about what I'm going to do in your life and be faithful to me and commit yourself to sacrificial service, regardless of what happens to everyone else around you. I love the, the Narnia stories that C.S. Lewis wrote. And I've enjoyed reading them to my boys, and now they're reading them pretty regularly. And there's one, it's hard for me to pick some of my favorites, but I will say one of my favorites is called The Horse and His Boy. You remember these books? And the little boy Shasta and his friend Erebus that are running um, away from a slavery situation. Shasta is anyway. And um, Aslan the lion is helping them, and they reach... Narnia, and anyway, I won't give you the whole story here, but there's a beautiful quote from Aslan, who is the lion, who's kind of a picture of Christ, and he is revealing to Shasta what he is going to face in the future. And Shasta does the same thing, kind of that Peter says. He turns around to his friend Erebus, and he's thinking about her, and basically asks the lion, well, what's going to happen with her? And Aslan says, child, I am telling you your story not hers. No one is told any story but their own. And I think C.S. Lewis takes this theme, even as Jesus is referring to Peter here, and takes it and weaves it into his own story. Um, if you've ever had much time with kids, you know this happens, that when they're told to do something, uh, if they find out that one of the other brothers or one of the other friends doesn't have to do that certain thing or that they might have to do something hard that somebody else doesn't have to do, they might re respond with, well, how come that other person doesn't have to do it? Isn't it interesting that when many times kids and adults find out that they get to do something they want to do that the others don't get to do, they usually don't respond with, 
Well, I feel so badly for those others that don't get to participate in this the same way I do. And mom and dad, can you help with that? But if the other brothers get to do something, or sisters, I'm not trying to specifically pinpoint my sons this morning, but we've heard this many times. Or they're asked to do a chore or something that the other brothers don't get, don't have to do at that time. You know, the response to the question is always, well, why do I have to go through that? Well, adults play the same game. And that's what Peter is doing here. And Jesus makes it clear. It doesn't matter, Peter. I'm writing your story. Okay? And I get to decide. Isn't Jesus making this clear as well, Peter? I decide what happens to everyone. So you don't kind of measure what I have for you based on what the other person is going to do. It's not if I go to you, Peter, and tell you what everybody's going to do, and then you decide to follow me. That's not how it works. I'll let you know, even, and, and he was blessed to know this much. I'll work in your life and guide you, and you just resolve to shepherd along with me, to follow after me, and that's good enough. Folks, our commitment to Christ should never hinge on or be discouraged by how we see him working in the lives of others. Don't we tend to do this from time to time? Well, how come so-and-so doesn't have to do that? Or how come so-and-so gets to do that? And God, why didn't you allow this into my life? And why don't I have as much resources as that person? And why don't I have a nice house and, and all of these things like, like, like others do? And we can kind of be real comparative towards other people and get discouraged and frustrated. And many people get bitter and some fall away from the Lord and decide not to follow him anymore because they don't like the way that God's writing their story. But folks, Jesus is reminding us that he's sovereign Lord of all. He has perfect right to write our story, and we have to submit, and we get to submit. He will have blessings for us as well. Will Peter have many ministry blessings in his future? Well, he certainly will. And isn't it interesting, in the book of 1 Peter, if you do that, Peter, what is one of his main themes? Suffering. Peter learned what Jesus had taught him. And now he is shepherding others, and he's, he also teaches others how to shepherd well. And he says, um, don't let it, if I can paraphrase this way, don't let it discourage you when troubling times come. You should expect that, Peter says. Trust me, I know. Jesus told me that very clearly. Peter learned his lesson. I like what one commenter said about this, commentator, uh, D.A. Carson. There is no belittling of either disciple. One of them may be called to a strategic pastoral ministry and martyrs crown, that's Peter, and the other to a long life and to strategic historical theological witness in written form. At this point, Peter needed a fresh commission since that was part of his restoration, while the beloved disciple did not. And God and Jesus was doing in their lives exactly what they needed. That's all Peter needed to know in the end. So he finishes up the testimony here. The Apostle John, as he's finishing his gospel, verse 24. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 23. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. We're going to see the risen Lord has prepared his followers to testify of him 
And then Jesus' followers did spread abroad his words. This specific saying, actually, that Jesus gave to Peter was spread around, and unfortunately, not exactly accurate. It was misinformed, misunderstood. Verse 23, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, talking about John. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? We find here that Jesus' followers, including these other disciples, did spread his words and teachings, but some sayings were still misunderstood, like this one. And maybe unwittingly, hopefully, but were twisted. Um, and this saying about John was actually indicated that he would live forever or that he would continue to live until Jesus returned. And so there was a misunderstanding. But why would John mention that at all? Any idea? Well, I think there's a, there's a good chance here. This is my guess. I think it's a good one. Why is he bringing this up? Because probably, even as people are reading this, people were watching him, even as an old man, as a sign that Jesus could return any moment for the rapture. Because um, he, they, they misunderstood that he wouldn't die until Jesus returned. So everybody's watching John. Like, okay, he's getting older. He's getting a little less mobile. That means Jesus is going to come back any time. And John knows that there's a good chance that he's going to die. And what's going to happen to the believing church and these people that have this misunderstanding if they see him die, they're literally, their faith will be in crisis. Oh, no, John's died, and Jesus didn't return. What happened? We can't rely on the testimony of Jesus. And John is saying he's probably an older man, an elderly man, as he's writing this gospel at the end, and he's saying that is not the correct interpretation. There are many sincere disciples who misinterpreted the, the, the words of Jesus here. So think that. And John, through the work of the Spirit, is providing them the truth that is needed for correct understanding. By the way, do we know what happened to John or Peter in the end? Well, we don't through Scripture, except from this instance, this indication about what Peter would go through. We have from church history that Peter was crucified upside down. And it seems that it's most reliable, the idea that Peter was crucified. From this verse that we're given and from church history, it's pretty certain that Peter was crucified. However, the idea, if you've heard of him being crucified upside down, well, why would that happen? Because the story goes that Peter did not want to be crucified in the way that his Savior had, and so he asked to be turned upside down. And that's a beautiful picture in a lot of ways. But honestly, the, the church history texts that we have are very unreliable. They also talk about Peter raising a, a tuna fish and other people flying through the air in the same text about Peter being crucified upside down. We just don't know for sure. Probably best not to, uh, like, like happened with John here, to um, give accuracy to something that we just don't know about. But Peter most likely was crucified regardless. What happened to John? Well, John was the one that wrote the last books of the New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation. He was exiled on the island of Patmos through church history. Um, we're, we're told that before he was banished to Patmos, that he was actually plunged into boiling oil in Rome. Have you ever heard that before? And I've always heard that and wondered, how did he survive that? That had to have been awful. Well, then I read the rest of the story, and supposedly he came out and suffered nothing from it at all. And people seeing this incredible miracle trusted in Christ 
because of what happened here. Is that what really happened? Again, we don't know. That's church history. Probably a little fanciful. I mean, God could have done that, I guess, if he wanted to with John. But we really don't know. So it's speculation. But we know that both of these gave their lives in service for Christ. John, it seems, was not martyred and did not have to go through the same type of crucifixion suffering that Peter did. But John was left as the last apostle, disciple, to give final testimony in a theological treatise of the Gospel of John and his letters and revelation of the truth of Jesus Christ. That was Jesus' story for John. And so John, in these last few verses, reminds us of what his responsibility is. Verse 24, Jesus, we're going to see here, Jesus' followers spread abroad his truth. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. John is making it clear here. I'm the disciple that Jesus was wondering about. And you can trust my witness as truth. Maybe he's saying in contrast to that story that people got mixed up, John may be saying, you can trust what I've written here. I, I was directed by the Holy Spirit. I'm bearing witness to the truth of what Jesus Christ himself has given me. And I have written these things. And so this is his stamp of, um, of legitimacy to his gospel and saying, all the things that I have given you are true. They've come from Jesus himself. This is a testimony of truth and reliability in my gospel. But then it says, we know that his testimony is true. And either John is using this as kind of a collective we, we and the church that I'm leading at this time, we all assent to the fact that this is the truth of Jesus Christ or that it is his church or a group of believers that are kind of putting their stamp on this and saying, yes, we assent, we agree that everything that John has written is true. Regardless, folks, we can, through these testimonies, be certain that what John gave us is the truth. And he had a purpose for that truth, didn't he? For us to believe in Christ and to assent to the truth ourselves. This last verse has this beautiful literary flourish, doesn't it? But there's an intention behind this. John is reminding us that everything that he has in his gospel, and probably he's thinking of the others as well, it's not the full account of all that Jesus has done. We don't have, we're not given all of the information of everything that happened in Jesus' earthly ministry. He had to edit it for practical purposes. Let's read. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did, and if I were trying to include them all, were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In a beautiful way, John says, there is no practical way that I could ever recount everything that Jesus did. I had to edit these things. And we know why John made the edits that he did. He had a thematic purpose. What were his themes? As we finish out this letter, let's think back on John's themes. The things that he did include were to emphasize these themes, the deity of Christ, that Christ is the Son of God. I hope you got that from this gospel. Also, John's, uh, uh, his relationship with the Father and the mission that the Father had sent him on to accomplish and that Jesus had accomplished that mission. 
That was a key theme of John. Also as well, the work of the Spirit and the continuing work of the Spirit within the disciples to help them, to help us to do the work that he's called us to do. And the new life that we have in Christ is also prominent. And as well as Jesus' control over his crucifixion and over everything that happened to him. And the Father's sovereign purpose in his death and resurrection. And all of those themes are in this gospel that I hope that you caught and understood. All of those things are to bring us together to respond in faith to the word, the personified word, the very expression of God. John has made it clear just a few verses earlier. I have written these things that you might believe. So, folks, there's no excuse. You've got all you need. You may not have. We don't have all the data there is to know about Jesus in Scripture. But, folks, listen, we have all that we need to know to believe. John's made that clear. Will you believe? Will you serve him faithfully? Will you follow him? Will we serve him faithfully to the word of truth and his presence through the Spirit in our lives? Are we going to be distracted or maybe even disillusioned that God isn't working in my life the way he's working in that person's life? And I'm having to go through things that other people aren't having to go through. And God, I don't like, I don't like how you're writing my story. I'd like to file a complaint. I have some editorial changes, Lord. Folks, in a careful way, I want to say that we don't get to do that. John's clear. And Peter learned his lesson. You read through those epistles that Peter wrote. He learned his lesson. He understood. And he said, yes, we're going to have to go through suffering. Do you remember he also said it is nothing in comparison to the blessings that we will receive? So whatever Jesus is going to do in your life, don't look around at everybody else's story. He's going to use all of our stories together to work together, yes, and to serve him. But you be faithful. Each of us are called to persevere in serving Jesus till he returns. And each of us are called to proclaim the accurate truth of his message. Here at the end, we have an example of those that spread the word of Christ but misunderstood. We don't want to be those folks. But like John, we want to be accurate in the message that God has given us in the gospel of Jesus. That's one thing as your pastor I pray for. Lord, help me to be accurate as I'm presenting the gospel, as I'm presenting your word. Help me not to misinform people like some of these folks did about this thing with John. But help me to be accurate and proclaim the truth like John did. Don't get distracted by attempting to figure out everybody else's stories. But you serve him faithfully in your own. And that is what Jesus expects of us. Father, thank you for this beautiful, wonderful gospel. And as we close and we're at the end of it, let us be motivated to not be distracted by everything else that you're doing in other people's lives and in other believers and their stories, except to maybe marvel and be grateful and be thankful and, and pray for them. But help us not to get discouraged and disillusioned, but remain faithful in the midst of what the work you're doing in our lives. Help us to accurately proclaim your word. Help us to persevere sacrificially until Jesus returns. It's simple, 
but it's hard. And we're thankful for these examples a reminder that Jesus walks with us, that he doesn't call us to shepherd and to minister all on our own, but we participate with the master, with the savior. He will enable us to persevere until the end. So help us to do that, to love Christ and to serve faithfully until he does return. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.